0: Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Craig.
1: And I'm Parker Dillman. That was pretty good, Stephen. I got it. Yeah. Changing it up. Yep, changing it up. So this so, is episode nine. Oh, wait, no, no. What? we, may, we I'm supposed
0: to be... Uh, oh, I'm go, just go saying it be. was episode nine. Oh. <laughs> well, this is episode nine.
1: So, oh, Parker, okay. what have you been doing this week? <laughs> <laughs> so we've been working more on the super simple power supply. Okay. Okay. Uh, About ready to actually lay traces down, right? Really close. Really close. There's a uh, full-on simulation of the analog front end. That's correct. Well, the analog back end. That's true, yeah. It's the back end. Right. Well, I guess it's the whole end. (laughs) The the, the entirety. Yeah, the whole analog section is, is... pretty much up in multi-sim. We were able to stuff the entire thing into a single simulation. You were having issues earlier this week with running out of parts with the free version of multi-sim? Yeah, multi-sim blue, the one that you can download
0: from uh, Mauser, has a part maximum of uh, 65. And and I needed like two diodes, just two more diodes. So I had to go in and, and start hacking off some capacitors that... They 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 work for for the real world applications for the simulation. They're probably not necessary. Yeah. Uh, just so I can hack in some more parts.
1: And uh, and then you ran into an issue with it was too what was it computational complexity was too high. Yeah. So I, it,
0: it's 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 something to do with how Spice takes its time frames, uh, individual chunks of time for simulating. Uh, its time base was too large. It's kind of cool though because multi sim has its own analysis where it will just keep changing variables and attempting to get a result until it works.
1: <laughs> until it works or or it doesn't. What what was it called? Um, I can't remember what what it, it popped up on the screen. The first thing it does when you do the error checking.
0: Oh yeah, no the the, the very first thing it does is it just does it again
1: yeah it does it again
0: i think i think the term was something like confirm error analysis or something like that just like so you just try it again
1: yeah exactly yeah (laughs) i think i think that's what happens when um when you when you you're on like your your computer and you have network issues and it goes trying to solve network issues in windows it doesn't actually do anything except just wait
0: well, it's kind of the digital equivalent of tech support saying, "Have you tried turning it off and turning it back Try on again?"
1: <laughs> you know, uh, a little side note on that is um, uh, last week I was actually having internet issues, and I was on tech support with Comcast, and I was like, "Oh God, this is going to be like three hours, and I'm gonna be you know talking to a computer half the time." Yeah, it was actually not that bad. Really, the ac- the person I was talking to actually asked what I've already tried. Really? So I got to skip, like, all the BS. Have you tried turning it on and off again? Or, like, unplugging the Corax cable and plugging it back in, like, all that stuff, I got to skip it. Wow. He went straight to basically, you know, that thing where they go, oh, we're going to try remote turning it on and off. Basically, I got to jump right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you skip 30, 40 minutes
1: of, yes, I've tried this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was it. I guess tech support's getting better. Yeah. So yeah, actually, uh,
0: and and last week on the last podcast we uh, we did the live design on the uh, SSPS. Yes. So we kind of translated that over. Uh, yeah. And uh, actually, some of it so far. Some of it, yeah. For at least for the way we were handling the digital communicating to the analog side. Yes. Uh, and and last week I believe the con- the conclusion we came up with was. A zero to five volt uh, control signal. Correct. Where two and a half volt was technically equal to zero volts. Yes. Well, it dawned on me this week as I was working on the simulation, we can actually do a much better job if we end up using two separate DACs and each one is zero to five volts and each one controls a positive side, and a negative side. Yes. So so one DAC will control the voltage output from zero up to the maximum voltage, and the other one controls it from zero down to the negative maximum.
1: Yeah, we just have to make sure not to run them both at the same time. Technically, if you run them both at the same time... You just get the difference? You get the difference, right. So it's not a bad thing, it's just... Unwanted consequences.
0: Well, it, it, I guess it just requires a little bit more dancing on the digital side it, yeah. or the software
1: side. Well, no, it's just got to set up your tables, right? when What you're sending out to your, your DAC. So it's not right. too big of a deal. Right. No, it should be easy.
0: But the cool thing is, if we use 16-bit DACs, we'll technically get 16 bits from zero up to our maximum and 16 bits from zero down to our minimum. So it's kind of like a 32-bit from all the way max to, to minimum.
1: Kinda. That's kind of like, uh, like video games from like the late '80s. Yeah. You know, it's got it's going. We basically are making like a, uh, a blast processor DAC super power supply.
0: Right. The cool thing is though, if you look at it, (laughs) you end up with half a millivolt of output resolution capability. In terms of pen on
1: paper, I know it won't be that in reality. Well, we can just call it sixteen by two, bits. That's what it really is. Eighteen bits. (laughs) <laughs> no no, sixteen by two yeah sixteen uh, you know, by two I, I like that I like that that's cool. Super bit processing we'll come up with some silly acronym blast for blast bit processing blast bit processing just like Sega Genesis right uh
0: Sega does what Nintendo don't
1: yeah, Nintendo don't yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and there's a little note here that says panelling cancels wires so what's that all about but I think it in regards with multi-sim. Wait, say that one more time? Panning cancels wiring.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've mentioned multi Sim a, a few times on the podcast, and we've pretty much had positive things to say about it. But I've found one thing that is just absolutely aggravating. And and just I have no idea what the designers were thinking when they when they implemented this feature. I'm I'm not sure if it counts as that. So so if you are laying down a wire on your simulation and you Middle mouse button click to pan around. It cancels out placing your wire.
1: You know, it's probably harkens back to the uh, old days of basically its command base. And so, when you're doing your wire, uh, you, it probably use it p- runs the command wire. And if you're in the middle of your command, it then execute another command, i.e., move. Yeah. It probably cancels out any previous command that you're doing. Probably AutoCAD two thousand, which is what I learned all my drafting on, was like that. Yeah, yeah. So it, it probably harkens back to how old MultiSim actually is. Pro- probably the, the
0: weird thing is it zooming doesn't affect it because zooming is probably just a redraw.
1: Yes, usually zooming is just a redraw of the uh, of the uh, GUI. Right, right. So
0: it's not an override command. No. And you know, actually, funny enough, um, another thing. When I'm working in any software program that's for schematic drawing or, or PCB or anything like that, when, when you do a uh, uh, copy paste, mm-hmm. if I paste, I want where, once I do the paste, I want it to be on my cursor, the, the new item that I'm pasting. Yes. It, it should be on my cursor so I can place it wherever. Dip trace doesn't do that. If you copy paste, it pastes whatever item you're, you're pasting. On a fixed offset away
1: from the item that you copied. Yeah, I don't know. Is that offset dynamic or is it always the same offset no matter what? Always the same offset. That's really weird. Yeah, and,
0: and, and it gets even more confusing if you are, have a schematic with multiple sheets and you're copying from one sheet to another sheet because it applies that offset to the new sheet. So if you have a, a, a new sheet that has stuff all over it and you copy from an old one, you have to go hunting for where it is.
1: Yeah, and, and hopefully select the stuff that you actually need to select instead of the old stuff. He's had a little mic trouble. <laughs> Sliding down on him. Uh, and then uh, I've been working on the uh, the IoT side a bit. Right with the uh, ESP eighty two sixty six Wi Fi module, so to do that, um, I'm basically building a small little dev board mm-hmm. uh, based off my propeller or Parallax propeller development stick, uh, little platform I, I designed, and so the new one is called the Bit Flicker because it's it flicks bits into the air Wi Fi, yeah. <laughs> basically, it's a prop dev stick with a Wi Fi module glued onto it. Um, I should get that done by tomorrow when this episode comes out and then I'll get that ordered. And so I can actually start writing the code for that. And actually, I have a friend who's porting um this software called Blink, which is B-L-Y-N-K. Okay. Which is, is a, it like an Arduino kind of ish thing. Not really. It's it uses Arduino. Okay. But basically it it. It basically combines your embedded world with your, your IoT world mm. uh, with a very easy-to-use framework. It basically, you attach the libraries, and it just works. Okay. Uh, and so I have, it just makes
0: your life a lot easier.
1: Yeah, and then the main thing, too, is it handles the framework for the app side on your, on your mobile device, too. Oh. So it handles all that, and basically it's like drag-drop where you want buttons and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that would be really good for us to do that Um, instead of trying to have to write us an app from scratch. Yeah, please. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not do that. Because I've never tried that before. Yeah, that sounds sounds rough. Um, So my friend, uh, his name's Roy. He's uh, working on porting that library over to the Parallax Propeller. Um, I think he's almost done. I think he actually has it talking right now. He just needs to flush out the library. So it actually talks with the, the interface. Cool. And like all open source projects, it's uh, the documentation is very weak. <laughs> uh, basically, he has to go into the Arduino libraries that they have and reverse engineer everything. Oh, you get, he's got to core it all out. Yeah, but he got it working. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that's really that he says it's really weird. Like there's a uh, for each message that you send out, you're supposed to increment the counter for the message. Okay, but it doesn't. Which is that's pretty standard. Yeah, sure. But it doesn't tell you what happens if you don't do that or if you like go backwards or doesn't it basically doesn't tell you what happens if you do it incorrectly. You
0: know, (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, but but in the Arduino world, there's a lot of that where it's just there is
1: it just this just works. Just trust it. Don't don't start questioning it. You have to do X, Y and Z in the right order for it to work correctly. Yeah. But if you do X, Y, A, Z. Oh, that, it's going to hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Cool. Yeah.
0: So, uh, looks like uh, the servos arrived for the XY platform.
1: Yeah, the uh, really, really uh, long wait on those servos are finally, um, I guess, finally paid off. Uh, they're really smooth. They run, well, in the demo mode, at least. They run really smooth, and they're very quiet. So, I'm... I'm Happy so far. They seem to have a lot of torque. We'll see uh, when I put the rig together tomorrow if it actually moves. Yeah, it'll move. Yeah, it'll move. It's got. They got plenty of torque. Um, the funny thing about that, too, is because uh, they came on, a, on the slow boat from China, and they were supposed to arrive like a week and a half ago,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I emailed the guy, and, of course, they came in that day. I emailed him. Oh, of course. (laughs) And he said, I'll mail them out immediately.
0: (laughs) That just means they're sitting on a shelf for two weeks.
1: Yes. He forgot to ship them. (laughs) Anyways, we have them now. They're really nice. Uh, Build quality is pretty good. The bearings are smooth. Um, The stickers are applied straight. Is, is this the the Parker Quality? Yeah, test the Parker that—that—that's what bugs me a lot. When you if you buy something and the sticker is not even put on straight, it's like, do they actually even care about putting the device together if they can't get the sticker on straight? Yeah,
0: you know, you know the the funny one is is when you get something and it's got that reflective gold QC sticker on it. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah is- you know instantaneously it's like
1: okay this thing is probably not that great if it's got one (laughs) of those stickers on it (laughs) um or qc stickers on stuff that's like doesn't even need qc yeah uh like plastic pieces and stuff um i completely forgot where i was gonna go with that qc oh yeah you're just talking about the hologram qc stickers yeah it's really funny when when you see like It's only authentic when it has a hologram sticker. But I'm like, you can go to AliExpress and buy whatever hologram sticker you want for, like, cheap. Right, right.
0: (laughs) But it gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling
1: that somebody looked at it and put a sticker on it. Well, I'm talking about counterfeit stuff. Same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just because it has a hologram doesn't mean it's legit. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, on to the... Rapid Fire Opinion section? Yeah, the RFO. RFO. Okay, so we got the, uh, the Transistor Wars. The Vacuum Tube Strikes Back. Ooh. So this is an article that you found earlier this week. Actually, a, a buddy of mine uh, sent, sent me this. And he goes, you think you can
0: use this in a, in a guitar amp? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we, we stumbled
1: upon this. Yeah, so it's uh, a new type of transistor that uses, um, it's similar to vacuum tubes, and the fact that the only thing that's the same that there's a vacuum inside of the, of the device. Sure. Um, but instead of having a normal uh, silicon gate substrate in your in your MOSFET and transistor, it basically just has a vacuum that's not really a vacuum. It's filled with helium. <laughs> there's nothing vacuum about it, it seems. Yeah. I...
0: <laughs> well, okay, Yes, it, it, there, there's, it, 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 they call it a vacuum because helium, the the atoms are so sparsely populated
1: uh. that uh,
0: the chance of an electron actually being uh, impacted as traveling through helium is very minimal. So they get gotcha. away with calling it a vacuum. It got, they
1: get yeah, away right. with it. Yeah. Um, the main thing to get take away from it is how fast these things can go. Yeah. Uh, because since you don't have the, uh, since the electrons are going through essentially a vacuum, they can stop and start really quickly. Whereas, um, you if you have let's say a uh, the substrate for the gates, that's um, they put a gallium or arsenic in it. I can't remember which one it is in a, in a FET. But basically, it takes time to turn it off and time to turn it back on, right? Because uh, you have to saturate the uh, the substrate with uh, with electrons, basically. His mic fell back down again.
0: I need to. I need to learn how to tighten these things.
1: You turn it to the right. Turn it righty tighty, right? <laughs> yeah, righty tighty. Nah, I got
0: it. It's all good.
1: Um. So I guess with with essentially since your substrate doesn't exist anymore, your time on and off is very short. Right. And they're saying four hundred and sixty gigahertz. That's fast. Yeah, almost half a terahertz. Um. I wonder what what's the fastest scope you can get. It's got to be in
0: the what, maybe ten gigahertz, maybe maybe a little bit higher
1: than that. Because I bet. Well, they they have to have some kind of uh, frequency counter that can go that high, at least. Well, okay. So
0: if if you're talking about like a digital scope, probably not. An analog scope might be able to get up there. Yeah. Uh. The thing that, that, that is just crazy in my mind is in, in what I've never really dealt with the above gigahertz range electronics other than just reading about them. But, I mean, a few picofarads of capacitance just completely ruins
1: your yeah. whole design.
0: How do you even get to 460 gigahertz? Well,
1: they're saying they, they can get these things up to a terahertz. Wow. Uh, which is just insane speed-wise, it's, it's almost unimaginable thinking it's something that can go that fast. and how It's it's one thing to go that fast, but it's also how do you make sure you're going that fast?
0: Well, it it seems like chicken and egg thing. You have to create this product so you can cre- uh, use it to test this no, product. No, you
1: have to make a better version of what you make yeah. because you have to have a you know, night quest because you have to go at least double. So if they make a one terahertz, you need at least a two terahertz scope yeah or basically something that, that can sample at two terahertz to see that signal
0: yeah yeah <laughs> you know you know there's probably someone out there who's in like some defense contract or something like that and they think that a terahertz is slow
1: or something they, <laughs> they have like some like super transistor that yeah something crazy yeah it's i, I wonder if we'll get to the point where to do bleeding edge technology you don't actually know if it actually is functioning correctly, unless the outcome is correct, of what your device does. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, two plus two equals four, and if it does that correctly, you don't actually have to know if it actually looks good on the scope. You just thumbs up. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> that uh,
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, technically, in in terms of the mathematics, there's not an upper limit to this kind of stuff. I uh, I mean, you can just keep going higher in
1: frequency. Uh, well, what's the well, eventually you would just run into um, uh, speed of light issues, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, right. If you're... Yeah, there, there's, I, I suppose there is some kind of...
1: There would be an upper limit. There's a
0: boundary somewhere.
1: Yeah, somewhere. But I, it, think,
0: I think all of our materials are going to... Well, they, they, they will dictate that well before we do speed of light. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's similar to the uh, maximum heat problem what is there a maximum temperature you can reach
0: well it's it's kind of like the same thing in the opposite way is there technically a minimum i mean obviously there's zero kelvin but the word reach can you actually get can you
1: actually reach there um i I think this is getting to the point where it's beyond our our degrees yeah (laughs) i didn't take a theoretical physics uh Class, no, 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 no. I was turning on, on light bulbs and, and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> Go back to blinking LEDs. Someday you'll be able to blink an LED at 460 gigahertz. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, the Atlantic had a really cool article this week about uh, what is really a robot. And I thought that was a really cool question. And the article goes into the history of what of robotics um, and some more of the more modern stuff, you know, like uh, autonomous cars and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so what, these, what the article states is most people say anything that's automatic is a robot. Like the ATM is a robot. It, like, use it as a broad word. Sure. Like an autonomous car is a robot. The Roomba is a robot. Uh the arms in a in a car factory are robots. C
0: three PO is a robot. C
1: three PO is a robot. Um I think he's more robotish than these other things though. Oh he's an he's an android. He's an android. Um basically they use robot to describe anything that's become automated in the world. Okay. It seems it seems like a really ambiguous. Yeah, that not one, seems it is an ambiguous. Definition. I mean, by that standard, pretty much anything like your thermostat on the wall is a robot. If you get a it automatically toy from controls a
0: McDonald's Happy Meal that blinks, it's a robot. Right? Yeah, by According the standard. Yeah, yeah by,
1: It does something automatically. Yeah. Um, which I guess you could say Crocs are automatic shoes because you don't have to tie them. Oh God, no, <laughs> no. Uh, but it goes into other things where, like, if you start to classify a robot as something that does something automatically without human intervention, which makes more sense of what a robot could be. It does, but but,
0: uh, don't you have to uh, interact with the robot? With the fact that you design it, so you're setting forth all yes, the interaction correct beforehand.
1: Yeah. So this would this would be stuff, um, uh, stuff that, stuff that's automatic, like the Roomba. You turn you just turn it on, but someone actually programmed it to clean your floor. Mm-hmm. Um, thermostats, that kind of stuff. Stuff that's that the article says is not robots, like RC. A lot of people will say like a drone is a robot. But it's actually flown by a human. Sure. All it does is just, you know, take like like a quadcopter. Mm-hmm. The only thing the quadcopter really does is make sure you don't flip it over. It keeps it level. But if it's doing that automatically, but it does that part automatically? But you dictate where it goes. So it's the human has what more control over it than it does because you can make it crash. It won't prevent itself from crashing.
0: Hmm. You, you know. You know. Um. A definition just popped into my head that, that I think might, might shed some light on this. Um, think of it this way. A, a mechanism, a device, or an apparatus mm-hmm. that executes instructions during its normal operation without human intervention.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, little, uh, a better description. Um, some people classify it as sense, think, act... Okay. So it has to do those three things without human intervention. Does it have to do all three? Well, I guess it can sense and decide not to do something. So it, it sensed, thought, and didn't act, which would be the same thing.
0: Well, what if it, what if it thinks and acts without sensing?
1: Uh, well, what, what would be an example of that? Um... I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, why would it? Th- yeah, I can't think of anything that uh, you, wouldn't You know what?
0: T- maybe, maybe
1: that's why it needs to be all three. Yeah, you need, it needs to be able to have something that changed for it to think about it.
0: So actually, well, well, well hang on. What about strip it way down low? What if you think of just like a, uh, like a, a timer? Uh, a timer has to, it's not sensing anything, but it does have to change a state. Well, I think it's so you're still sensing that timer rolling over. I guess maybe. I mean, I, it, it it's thinking and it's acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess I guess the sensing would be some kind of time input to it.
1: Yeah, I I like to go even farther down down the the hole on on this robot thing in. Basically, the when you can you start calling the device. Not an it anymore, and you start. It starts. You start to personify it, even if it's a robot, like a, a Roomba. So you give them names. So once you give it a name, or you give it, you can call it a he or a she or whatever. Besides it, it that's when it becomes a robot. robot, hmm. like an android or a uh, something that it doesn't have to have feelings or anything, but the fact that how it acts, it crosses that. Uh, um Turing test kind of thing in your brain.
0: <laughs> well okay, so let's just say the uh the Asimo robot, if they called it an it instead of Asimo, according to your definition that would not be a robot? Well
1: when you watch it move Well the thing about that robot is it doesn't really move like a, a an organic creature. It's really stiff. If we're yeah. talking about the Honda one, right? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, that is still like, yeah, I, 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 I guess it is a robot. Um, <laughs> well, I
0: mean, C-3PO
1: is stiff and he was a robot. Yeah, but his personality is there. The He has a person, he actually has a personality, um, in, in the movies. It's like, uh, like, um, the, uh. Boston Dynamics, they're, they're robots they make. Oh, the, like the, the mule? Yeah, the mule and stuff, which are like, they are scary looking like a deer, how it moves around. And they actually have a bipedal, like, almost Terminator-style one now that doesn't even need cables hooked up to it. It can walk around. <laughs> Skynet's only a couple <laughs> years away. Well, we had the, they hook up Boston Dynamics with the Microsoft Twitter AI. The world's gonna end. <laughs> oh, gosh. Cause there would be a Hitler loving sex robot that can move around now. <laughs> that
0: can move <laughs> and carry three hundred pounds. <laughs> ah,
1: uh, oh yeah, so speaking of the Boston Dynamics, there's a really cool video. I'll put I'll put it in the link in the description of someone dubbed over the Boston Dynamics videos with with uh, um obscene words. And it's really funny. Oh god, I need to see that. <laughs> yeah, I was just to you. Uh, I'll put it. I'll put it in the blog. Awesome.
0: <laughs> so, uh, have you heard of the uh, new
1: gallium oxide substrate transistors? Uh, no. I assume it has gallium and it's attached to oxygen. <laughs> That's
0: actually probably a pretty good guess. Uh, so so uh, with as we go further in material science, we're finding that silicon just doesn't really cut it. No, it doesn't. Uh, well, silicon by itself, single crystal silicon, uh, it, it, it's great, but it, by today's standards, it's pretty slow. It has high resistance. It has not so great thermal characteristics. There's just a lot of things that, that prevent us from, from using it in... in uh, High-speed technology or high-power technology.
1: Yeah, that's why they uh, they dope it like crazy now.
0: Yeah, right, right. Well, I uh, I read an article uh, just earlier today about new gallium oxide uh, mm-hmm. substrates, which is which is really cool. It's a it's we're starting to get to the point where we're getting fringe materials, where you now pick your material that is really hyper-specific for your application. And it does that application very, very well.
1: Yeah, instead of uh, silicon, which is very broad in terms of semiconductors.
0: Yeah, exactly. You can you can kind of throw silicon in, in anything, and it'll do the job. Yeah. But you know, if you're going for high speed, you want this. If you're going for LED applications, you want this. Well, gallium oxide is actually fantastic for high powered applications.
1: Okay. So uh, why is it good at high powered?
0: So, it has a an electron volt. Band gap of five eV, which is significantly larger than uh, than say gallium nitride or silicon carbide, which okay. both are used in power applications. And and really, the electron volt band gap basically all it is is a measure of how much energy it takes to excite an electron yes. within the crystal. Uh, and and you would think that it would be better to have a lower uh, band gap voltage. But in power applications, if you have a higher band gap voltage, you can actually um, have much higher isolation, mm-hmm. and you actually are able to use much thinner substrates, which has an incredibly low resistance. So if you're talking about, say, a MOSFET, your arm yeah, yeah. resistance, you can get that next to nothing
1: now. Yeah, yeah. since you're, on, you're going through a lot thinner material. Yeah, yeah. Which is that interesting, because we were talking about gallium nitride or... Gallium nitrate uh, uh transistors. For
0: the, for the switching transistors.
1: Have switching yeah, switching transistors for the uh Google little box channel challenge a right. couple weeks ago. Um so basically that thing's obsolete already. <laughs> well <laughs> Well, once they build something out uh, a transistor out of this stuff.
0: Right, right. So so this stuff, what's what's cool about it is, I mean, it's it's its shining characteristic is is its high band gap voltage. Um, But where it really is weak is its thermal conductivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something like four times less than silicon. Um, But they found a a really cool solution to it. Apparently, in LED technology, using uh, substrates of sapphire is really common. Uh, And sapphire is actually easy to grow in a furnace. Yes. Um, And it has excellent thermal conductivity. So they're actually making a substrate of sapphire and then growing uh, gallium oxide on top of that. So they're, they're actually able to alleviate the thermal issues by putting this on top of uh, sapphire. sapphire. And so you get the best of both worlds, you get the, or, or three worlds. You get really low on resistance, you get really high isolation, and you get really low thermal conductivity. It's basically the best switcher you can get.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. I wanted to see that, that the, the bond interface under electron microscope between the sapphire and, and gallium oxide.
0: You know, and actually I was reading the article, and what's interesting is they were mentioning something about the fact that the bond is actually not really strong between the gallium oxide.
1: Yeah, that's why I wanted to see is sapphire. how I would cuz they're not going to be the same size in the in the lattice. Right.
0: And and I don't know the mechanism behind it. I I didn't I didn't fully understand it, but apparently that super glue.
1: Helps. super glue. Yeah, yeah. Loctite <laughs> what
0: uh, 5013 495. 495, that's it. We yeah, use a lot su- of that in the
1: shop. Super glue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but 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 apparently uh, the fact that it doesn't bond well actually aids in its thermal conductivity which hmm. it seems con- counterintuitive to me
1: yeah it does uh but but apparently some smart person out there has found that out yeah you think the closer which would be a direct connection would allow the heat transfer to be better it that's what logical
0: uh a logical path would take you yeah you know the heat in terms of electron energy needing to move from one place to another You would think a really rigid contact would would help that, but apparently that's not the case. Apparently not.
1: It's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, Hopefully we see some uh, FETs with this stuff in it. Uh, Probably two years. It usually takes about two years for this kind of stuff to roll in. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And they'll probably be $60 a transistor when they first start out.
1: Well, if it's as good as it says, and they hurdle the manufacturing stuff, you know, quickly. Yeah. It could be in every FET.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and apparently according to the article, gallium oxide is not expensive to make. No. Uh, it, the all the cost up front would be the fact that it's just not widely used. Correct. Uh and and this like I said the sapphire substrate is already widely used in the semiconductor industry. That's already cheap.
1: Yeah. That's actually um speaking of this manufacturing we want to jump back to the the, the vacuum transistor. Yeah is it could be built in current CMOS fabs using the same technology they build accelerometers with oh. um cuz accelerometers actually have to be have oh, a like near vacuum in them MEMS cause they, yeah like, cuz yeah. they have a moving part in them right MEMS yeah yeah no uh,
0: micro electronic something something yeah so uh, you yeah, know little... it, it's it's physical moving
1: yeah devices and, and so they have a vacuum or a near vacuum that enables that part to not destroy itself right um and so they actually can use that technology to build these transistors uh wow that's cool yeah so i'm thinking we i wonder if we'll see first those or the gallium oxide probably the gallium oxide we'll see first
0: Probably because they, they probably have more application, direct application.
1: Yeah, direct. it's All it is is you can probably just swap out, you know, your your um, gallium nitrate vets for these guys and you just get a percentage increase.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sure it's not as easy as this, but... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you could just slap together a die and throw it in a TO220 package, and now you got a gallium oxide transistor. Yeah, let's just go down to the the shop and bust that one out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that'll do it for uh, for this podcast. I'm uh, your host, Stephen Craig. And I'm Parker Doman. Have a good day. Later, guys.